Hey, it's Joey Salvi, and welcome back to our third installment of the Jackie the Joke Man Marlink series on OP Radio. I got something about you. This is, this is, uh, I brought this up, God, this will be the third or fourth time, but I, I, I obsess about this. So the little I, I, I did know about Stern when I was growing up and stuff, you know, coming to the radio, you're like, he's the funniest man alive. And, uh, and then you learn years later, I mean, it was, it was hidden for a really long time that you and Fred and others, but mostly you and Fred and mostly you over Fred probably, were handing, those, handing him all those killer, crushing, perfectly timed lines. And uh, as a comic, I don't know how you sleep at night uh, hearing everyone talk about how funny Howard is when you know it came from your brain. Look, you still have to deliver the line and the timing and all that. I get that. But see, I... Sorry, there's a long... No, this, no, no. I'm going the long way to this because... When somebody's pulling your prick, you learn to shut up and enjoy it. I understand that, but I... I you know, I ran a radio show for many, many years, and I also hung out with a lot of comics over the years. And I know how important it is to comics to be funny and to be the funniest in the room. That's all you guys do is try to be the funniest in the fucking room. Everything else you'll blow off. You'll blow off relationships and everything else. But if you're known as the funniest guy in the room, that is some kind of prestige as a stand-up comic that it means a lot to you. It's like an honor a badge, uh, what have you. And for you to sit there knowing that you were the one making him so fucking funny. But, but it wasn't a bunch of comedians in a green room. It was a very no, I understand structured, that, finite situation. And when I walked in there, I assessed, not, not knowingly, but I had no desire to be him. I didn't want to carry the ball. I don't know if I, people want you to have a podcast. I don't want to... I don't want to be the British soldier walking along. I want yeah. to be a guy in the woods sticking shots at him. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, um, and I was there, and I was enjoying myself, and I realized, I think innately knew if I want in, I got to help him. And slowly but surely, I was, I'd give him something, and it was, it yeah. was so, so, it was years. It was gradual to the point where... Uh, we were on a K-Rock, uh, he got fired, then we were on K-Rock, and I was still on one day a week in the afternoon, but slowly but surely, and then all of a sudden we go to K-Rock, and I got a seat, and there's like a, a place where I can actually reach with the notes, and I'm, wow, and then I made millions of dollars, and we made millions of people laugh, and it was the greatest, well, no offense, one of the greatest radio shows ever, and in all that time, my job description he called me up. I was on the beach, on, on the road in Virginia Beach. He said, we're going to mornings. I need you two days a week to come in and do your thing with the notes. That was my, there was no discussion. There was no cut. There was no, do your thing with the notes. And I came in and two days a week, I was passing notes. And I went to three days, four days, five days a week. And he always said, oh, I got to go to Tom and get more money. But, but because he... It was an A-B situation. He's hysterical on Monday, hysterical on Tuesday, and Jackie's not there on Wednesday. You know, you could call pompous, yeah. but it wasn't. Because I didn't make him funny. I made him a little funnier. And I always use the same analogy. If, if you're a sprinter in the Olympics and you run the 100-yard dash in 10-2, you're a world-class sprinter. Yeah. If you got a little wind at your back and you run it in 10.0, 
you're the fastest in the world. Yeah. A little bit of wind on your back and can make all the difference. And he could be so pompous and rude and mean because if he ended it with a button, with a punchline, and go out on a laugh that yeah, I get all diffused that. the whole thing. I get and it all. He, he learned that quick, and it was like, uh, and I. I I didn't care. And I, once I was there, another thing. Yeah. Once I'm there passing notes, like Fred caught on, and he'd write a little thing on a on a little scrap of paper and hand it to me, and I'd have to rewrite it. And after however long of that, I said, Fred, and I put a stack of paper in front of him. I said, Fred, here's your paper. Here's your Sharpie. Write it big and write it neat. So if you pass it to me, I can put it to him because by the time you give it to me, I rewrite it. We we left the fucking ship at the dock. All right, and so all of a sudden, not only was I making him funny, but Fred had a conduit to get his jokes to him. And so Howard was not only three funny people working together, they were three distinct, different sure. senses of humor. Because Fred's from Pluto, I'm from Punchlines, and he's like a broad guy. So you didn't know where the, the line was going to come from or where it was going to go. One of the greatest days of my life, the guys from uh, The Lampoon were huge fans from the word go, because it was, you know, groundbreaking and rude and crazy. And this guy, Mark Rubert, was one of the senior editors. And he called up and said, he's a big fan. I said, well, let me take you to Friars Club. So we go to the Friars Club. And he said, you know, the show is the greatest show. We all get such a, just a charge of it, blah, blah, blah. And he said, your laugh is so great. And I said, well, I'm not just laughing. You know, I don't know how aware he was, but this is very, very early on. And he goes, you know, you know, but I'm helping. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, you don't know, but I'm sitting there and I'm writing lines and passing them to him. He goes, bullshit. And I said, no, we're sitting in the friar's dining room. I remember like yesterday, I took out, I have every note I ever wrote there in my mother's attic. I, we saw it every note, on the last episode. Every note that I wrote that he said. Yeah. You know, the rest of it was on the floor, like blah, blah, blah. Right. So here's the, the, the not, not, I'm not talking about those, Loose leaves. I'm talking my mother's attic. You got more all, stuff? No. All the notes right. from 15 years that, that he ever said, every day stack. Cases and cases and cases in my mother's attic. Wow. If you told me a day and a joke, I could look. So I took out that day's stack and put it in front of Mark. And he started leafing through them. And he goes, he's looking. And he's looking. One after, he says, this is every fucking funny thing he said today. I said, No but it's a lot of them. You know what I mean? I'm like, they say, oh, you write everything. I didn't write everything he said, but I wrote some of the things he said. You explained that perfectly, but uh, I guess the one thing that I, I'm going to harp on is the fact that it, it seemed like there was room there to give you and, and Fred, I'm, I'm mostly you, I'm not sitting here with Fred today, uh, credit like and make that sort of kind of part of the show a little bit more. But I know from your book and, and just talking to you over the years, there were, he made he made sure that didn't really get out. Uh, well, you know, for the most part, yeah, you it know, slipped a couple times, but for the most part, it, it, it was, I, that's kind of strange to me. I it think. was a weird elephant in the room. I'll tell you, Fred had been with him a long time, so when I started, we're, go, we're on in mornings, um, maybe even when I was there. You know, the more you're there, the more you learn. And <clears throat> Howard would go. Uh, me and Fred wrote a song parody, right? And it was great. We found out right away we could write together, like Lennon McCartney, because I'm so goofy and he's so sharp. And it was just he's a smart guy. So it was just great fun. Our song yeah. parodies, I thought, were terrific. And I think the first one we wrote, and Howard goes, hey, Robin, uh, here's a song parody I came up with. 
And it kind of caught me. And they played it, and I'm like, that's a little weird, you know. And uh, after, I, I don't know if right away or another one, whatever, I said, what is this that you came up with? Me and Fred wrote that. However I said it, I was gentle. And then it was, hey, Robin, here's a song parody that me and the boys cooked up, you know. And it was like, after a certain amount, like, no, me and Fred. And eventually became, hey, the boys came up with a song parody, you know. Fred would have gone to his death without saying a word. And obviously he, and because he's like, he's the That's, boss and I'm writing for him. And, and maybe I, I was out of, out of line, but this is exactly what you're talking about. You're like, yeah, he never said, hey, Jackie, that was a great line. But that, that wasn't our job. Yeah, you know, like Carson would never deliver a great, great line. It, say, oh, thank you, uh, thank you. That's you know. that's a tough spot. Let me <clears throat> let me, because you know, obviously, I, I I ran a pretty successful radio show myself, Opie and Anthony. Uh, oh, I heard of that. We, I I had a different philosophy than that because in my world, we had the song parodies, and we had uh, we had instant feedback coming in, which would might as well we might as well have called it Jackie the Joke Man feedback like because it was the same sort of concept people were firing lines all the time during the show every chance we could we would give those guys credit and if someone uh, had a song parody that had nothing to do with it, I, I wasn't going to say it was something i did because in the end i felt like when i went home to my family and my friends and what have you know what they said to me every time wow you had a great show today it didn't matter that, that the line. funny the funny song parody or the funny line. It didn't matter. It didn't come from me that day because in the end, I was going to get the credit because my name was on the billboard with Anthony. And I always noticed over the years because we all bumped heads that Howard had to be the funniest guy in the room and he, he needed to get <clears throat> most, if not all, the credit on a daily basis. And I never understood that because in the end... People, it's, the, people, it's the Ed Sullivan show, would, and all these people are on his show. Because I guarantee when he went home to his family and friends and all that, they all said, you had a great show today. Oh, I got a story for you. Let's oh, go. Oh, I got a, I got a vil, million stories for you. But uh, I'm just saying it was a different, no, no, a different way of doing you're things. You're absolutely right. I'll tell you, <clears throat> that one thing, there was dump switch in case somebody cursed. You know? Sure. And... I found out about the dump remember, switch. Remember the quick. days when you were listening and, uh, and you would hear everything was underwater? This, right. Because you ran out of dump? So Elton John came on the show, but I wasn't there. It was a syndicated show that I was not part of, which is a whole other one of those Jackie wasn't included things, which forget about. Of course, I wasn't signed with Buckwold. And they did a show on Saturdays, a syndicated show lasted a month or two. And there were a couple of guests they had that I never met because I wasn't there. And... Fred wrote an incredible song and handed it to Elton John. And Elton John sang it, made, up, made it up as he went along. He, read, he sang Fred's words as he made up the melody. And it's one of the great things on the Stern Show. And Fred used to always start the show with a whole montage. He'd do, and they would always have a theme. The guy's beyond, beyond brilliant. I, I will go to my death singing his praises. He was yeah. beyond funny, brilliant, smart. And it would it would be some kind and montage would always end with either a song parody or one of our bits or whatever. <clears throat> and one day it ended with Elton John singing, "There was a man with a very small penis." Whatever it was, it's a funny song. And we got and we just go on the air. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I said, "Damn, Howard, you know what? I think that song's maybe the funniest thing Fred ever wrote." And he said, "Yeah, yeah." They reached under to dump it out. 
And he reached down. I had only recently found out that that's where the dump switch was. And I thought, no. And on break, I called up and I said, Nancy, were you awake this morning? Did you hear the opening of the show? She says, yeah, I was listening. <clears throat> Did you hear the Elton John song? That and she goes, yeah, that's that's so great. Isn't that great? I said, did you hear me say, Howard, that's the funniest thing Fred ever wrote? She said, what are you talking about? It went right into the show. Because if that came under Fred's name, that not just went under Fred's name, that came out from under his name. Wow. And I'm like, this is 1986. I'm like, I'm sorry, that's fucking petty. And people can yell at me for telling, that's the kind of tale that, you know, I don't, tell backbiting tales but that right you know, that sucks that says a lot i think yeah you know that yeah just kind of because look I, you know I, it's no secret i don't really like howard at all but i i, I acknowledge <clears throat> he, he's a very credit what credit so yeah he's a very talented obviously and paved the way for a lot of guys and stuff but well, i'll tell you one there was thing plenty of, there was plenty of credit to go around oh, please. one thing and i don't know if we ever discussed this we probably did but People would always say to me, oh, I could always tell when you wrote a joke because of your laugh. And, I, and I'd say, that's true, but it's not totally true. He said, what are you talking about? I said, I laughed if he said something funny. And I would laugh in relation to how funny it was, was how hard I'd laugh. Robin, you could say a girl got hit by a truck. <laughs> and then somebody could deliver a brilliant launch. <laughs> it's the fucking same thing every time. Me, I would laugh depending on how funny something of was. Of course. <laughs> and if, if he said something really funny, I would go ballistic. And I would. there were many times I came home when Nancy said, you know what the funniest thing you wrote today was blah, blah, blah. And I go, no, I didn't. Write. Fred wrote that. She said, but, but you screamed laughing at it. I said, because it was so Hilarious, funny. Or right. Somebody say, oh, you know, the funniest thing you wrote today was such a... No, I didn't write that. Howard said that on his own. Yeah. But you laughed so hard. I said, I'm not there to promote myself. I'm laughing at what's funny on the show. And if it's funny, I laugh. And it's real funny, I laugh hard. And yeah. that, that was very important for me. to. Now, of course, everything I wrote, I thought was very funny. So I laughed very hard at myself all the time. Right. But not exclusively. You know? Now, uh, after all these years, who do you keep in touch with from over there? Stuttering John, I talk to. I try to. Oh, I know. You both were on the no, podcast. I, he's a good character. He's, he's all over the place. People always say to me, when does he stutter? And I say, whenever he, I want him to. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, there's a famous thing when he was going to. But you talk. don't really keep in touch with Howard or Fred No, you know, Robin. the other day I actually wrote him an email and said, hey, congratulations on your book. I'm sure it'll do great. Yeah. I just wanted to say that for no reason. Uh, Did he write you back? But, uh, not yet, but it's only been a year and a half. <laughs> uh, and I, uh, I, I sent something to Fred the other day, like maybe a couple months ago, because it was just so, so, so funny, and I had to share it with him. Maybe it was a book or a line or something like that. But me and Fred had had lunch. You know, I I could say two years, but it could be five years. I don't know. A long time ago, but we had a great lunch, and then Robin took me to lunch two or three years ago. But. Uh, and we had fun and a lot of laughs, but she actually was trying to get me to join this cult that she's in. And I said, no, I really don't want to walk on fire on my fucking knees, you idiot, you know. <laughs> but, uh, and Gary, once in a while, I, I run into Sal here and there, yeah, you know, and I like him, you know, and, and Gary and me, exp like if, I, if there's something really fun that I think would be good for him, good for the show, but good for the person I met, you know, so... But there's no real communication. It was so weird because our two camps were... Uh Always at it, but uh, but I got along with all the other. But of course, I got along with all of them. 
Howard never wanted anything to do with me. I tried over the years to kind of like squash whatever, whatever the whatever the beef was in his in his head, because he he apologized to Brother Weez, my mentor. Yeah, I, I heard about that. I, I finally met Brother Weez. I went up to work Rochester. We had a fabulous. Isn't he stuff. awesome? No, he's a great guy. And uh, Weez, because Weez knows I got in a lot of trouble at Howard because I was I was sticking up for Weez when Howard went after his daughter back in the day, his um, you know mentally challenged daughter. Yeah, the so stuff anyway, that now he's sorry for. Come yeah, on, you know. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. And uh, you know, when Howard called Weez to you know apologize, which I I think that's awesome on Howard's part. Of course, I think so. And then and then Weez always having me in the back of his head goes, "What about uh, what about my boy Opie?" You know. And Howard, swear to God, told Weez I could get him on this podcast. Uh, Howard goes, "I'm not ready for Opie yet." You know, I'm like, "Get out of please. here!" You know, you know one of the most fun things that I ever heard. Yeah. Uh, which is that whole thing you're talking about, uh, helping and the guy's funny, but not blah, blah, blah. Uh, out of the mouths of babes, you know, come the truth, you know. Sure. So they do this. They get hired to do this syndicated radio program once a week. And he says, well, you know, we can't include you because we don't have much of a budget yet. But the truth is the advertiser wanted a live crowd. Oh, this is the TV show? No, no. This is a syndicated radio show. Okay. But they wanted to have people watch. Okay. A live audience, even though it was a radio show, syndicated radio show. I think it was for Toyota. So, and this is very early on. So there's no way. We eventually, we started going on the road and I'd be passing them notes, you know, in L.A. Or, or wherever we were because he didn't want to sacrifice not being funny. What the hell if a couple of listeners seen, right? Because we, as we got bigger, 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 bigger. But this is very early on. So there's no way he's going to have me passing him notes in front of 20 or 30 uh, people and probably journalists to review the show. So I was not part of this show. But it's a big deal. And I'm sure they were getting lots of money for it. And they had the opening party at Lane's. And this is so early on. We had just gone to mornings. And Howard's whole family is at Lane's. And everybody's there. And I'm invited to this party, even though I have nothing to do with the syndicated show. What are they going to do? They're going to bring Jackie. So we go to the Elaine's, and, <clears throat> and his sister comes up to me. And it was, it was so funny because that morning, the black basketball player, not to be redundant, the oh, black Len, basketball player, Len, Len Bias, Bias, had uh, either died of coke or OD'd. So we wrote 20 hysterical, horribly rude, mean, Len Bias cocaine nose jokes. And Howard killed on, and then he's doing a quick uh, press conference for all the reporters that are Elaine's and he's using the jokes. So he gets done with the little press conference and he puts his arm around me and says, listen, man, as soon as we get some budget, I want to get you. Cause he knew he's saying the jokes I had given him that morning, even though it's my job, he, you know, he had a twinge. Yeah. And his sister comes up to me. He wasn't standing, you know, and I had never met her yet. Cause I was on the show one day a week and I wasn't part of the family yet. And she comes up and she says, how, and she's so nice. She, she's Ellen Stern, such a nice girl. And I, and I probably make a mockery of her voice because it's funny. But she goes, hello. It's so nice to meet you. You know, I, I work in the afternoon. I could never listen to the show. But now you guys are on in the morning so I can listen to the radio <laughs> show. And I said to my brother, Howie. When did you get so funny? <laughs> and he said, 
It's not me. It's Jackie. And you're Jackie. It's so nice to meet you. I'm like, is anybody fucking listening to this? That's awesome. And I'm telling you, that is word for word the conversation. Yeah, was amazing. Because so she, she wasn't trying to talk out of school. But if anybody knows how funny their brother is, it's their sister, you know. Man, with all that backstory, you know, you left uh, 2000, 2001. You, 2001. You were making like $578,000 if I know your career. And you and e-money e and, and crazy, crazy so stand-up That's money. a great, obviously a great living, but I also know about what Howard was making back then. And it was time for negotiations. And you wanted a million a year. Um, but uh, according to your book, uh, Joke Man Bowderstern? The Joke Man Bowderstern. <laughs> the Joke You're Man. You're catching on, Red. The Joke Man. You're catching on. The Joke on. Man Bowderstern. You, uh, you know, you wanted a million a year, but you would have obviously accepted like 800000 Well, you know, I, I, the, what, what really pissed me off is they wouldn't negotiate. You know, it was our way or the highway, you know. Which is crazy because you just told the whole backstory. I mean, you deserved that. And, and you weren't asking for crazy whole, money. Because, no. Because people don't remember, like, back then, I mean, that show was so huge that you, I mean, the radio stations were just printing, were printing, printing money, money, as we call it in, in, in uh, the radio world. Like, there was so much and, and I tell money people, coming in. If somebody offers you a stand-up gig in Alaska, you don't say no. Right. You say $30,000. Right. And if they say, we can't pay that, okay. I won't, you know, you, right. you can price yourself out of the book. I did not price myself right. out of a job. I asked what I, I had made a decision in my head, and they had beat me up so bad on my last negotiation. Like, don't ever pull that crap again. You, you know, you don't tell us what we're going to pay. You know, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, you this know, is, this like, is like how it works in the real world. The whole world. You're trying to get your worth. I'm reading about Babe Ruth not going, showing up for the ball game because his agent is telling him you, you deserve more yeah. money. The best ball player there ever was. Yeah. This is Babe Ruth. I mean, yeah. I'm not calling myself Babe Ruth, but right. I'm saying you're allowed to negotiate. Yeah. That's, that's the American and, way. And it seems like people took it very personally because then you're like. But ah. people were so twisted in what they thought. There was one time in the. Early mid nineties, whatever it was, all I know is I was, I was making three hundred grand, and I wanted four hundred, and I had it all figured out in my head. And it's one of the great stories that also I don't think made it into the book, because I was friends with everybody. I went, I went to all the different affiliates yeah. to perform. Gary wouldn't had nothing he could do at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and and Howard and Robin, so here I am. I'm going to do stand up, and right. and and they're going to you can actually put on a show. I'm going to go on radio. Yeah. And so the owners, uh, some of the I was just friends with all the people, and this one show, this one owner in Rochester was the owner, but he's also the general manager. Of the show blah blah blah, and he helped me so much. And he said, "Listen, you got a negotiation coming up." He says, "Don't ever take anything personal." He said, "When you walk out on stage, what do you do?" I said, I tell jokes. He says, because that's your job. When you walk in and sit down and tell the general manager you want more money, he falls off his chair. Yeah. Because that's his job. Yeah. There's none personal. That's his job. So he told me that the smallest affiliate on the Stern Network made 250 grand, paid 250 grand. No matter how small, that was the cutoff, $250,000. And for that, you didn't get anything. You paid that. And then you had to pay for the satellites, blah, blah, blah. They drove a hard bargain. So Rochester gets the show. So I know that if we had a new market, 
it's a quarter of a million dollars. I'm equipped with this knowledge. That's the minimum. By so the way. from the time of my last contract to the new contract, we had added 10 new markets. Now, some of them were like Dallas or my, whatever they were. Some of them were six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars $800,000, but the minimum was $250,000. And I said to myself, and I had a reasoning. So <clears throat> I went in and uh, they offered me like a 7% raise or whatever it was, 7% salesman raise. You know, $300,000, they're going to give me $332,000 or something like that. And I went in to see, I wanted to see, who do I talk to? You go see Mel, no, you don't see me. You talk to Don, no, you don't talk. They, they're shuffling me around. And every time you go in for a raise, you know, your stomach, they, they, they're motherfuckers, man. So uh, I finally go in to see Tom. And he goes, you don't like this raise? I said, no. He says, from 300 to 332 or whatever, that's not a good raise? I said, no. He says, what do you want? And I said, 400. And I might as well tell him I would like to cut your wife open and, and eat her guts. Right? Yeah. And he goes, where would you come up with a $100,000 raise? I said, what do you mean? It's very simple. Since my last... Uh, negotiation we've added 10 markets i know at the very very minimum we make two hundred fifty thousand dollars per per market and i figure if i'm not good for one twenty-fifth of this show i shouldn't even show up so that's a hundred thousand dollars and he looks at me and he goes jackie one twenty-fifth of $250,000 is not $10,000. He's talking to a mechanical engineer, right? I said, do the math. And he turned. I swear on my mother. He turned to his little calculator. <laughs> no, and he went and he punched <laughs> in the numbers. And when he, when he hit calculate, his shoulders <laughs> fell six inches. Because he wasn't questioning that I deserved the money. He was questioning my math. Yeah. Yikes. You got to talk to Mel, you know, <laughs> so that was that. So, and, and we both had the same boss. Mel Carmazin was a scary guy, but, but I but loved him to death. I went in. I, I miss went, him. I went in and Mel said, you, you don't, you don't like this. And he said, listen, and he, I have the piece of paper. He wrote down five years. He wrote, you get this. And then next year you get this. And he wrote down the five year. Oh, oh this, this is the most recent yeah, yeah, negotiation. Yeah. But, and with the grand total, I said, you know. I said, no good. Oh, no, that was way back then. That was way back then. And uh, I said, no good. And I said, thank you very much, but uh, that's not what I like, you know, and uh, I appreciate you, and I left. And I walked out, and I spent the weekend without a job, and Nancy was thrilled. No more getting up early, no more bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And Monday was a Columbus day, and I don't know if people, but we used to work sometimes, and they worked, and we didn't work. I mean, I was off the show, and I came home, and it was it was it, we did a Jew joke, and it wasn't on the tape, we, but we did a Jew joke, and it was great. The phone rang a couple times. I answered it just as the little micro cassette went off. Yeah. So I had the first minute of the conversation, but we never got to the meat of it. Yeah. <clears throat> Hello, Jack. It's Howard. Oh, hi, man. He's listen, man. I need you. I said, well, listen, you know, me and Tom are far apart, and, uh, and I don't think it's going to happen. He says, well, just come in, come in. And he said, well, we're far apart. He said, how far apart are you? And he said, I said, $62,500. Swear to you. And he goes, well, just, just come in, Bart. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the $50,000. 
I said, it's 62.5. And he goes, he goes, all right, I'll give you the 60,000. I said, it's 62.5. Just come in tomorrow. So it was $50. What do you mean $40? I'll give you $30. Right. So to his credit, for the next two years, I got a check from his company every payday. Made the difference. To pay the difference. And I got my 400 grand. Because because he he needed me. And I never felt like I was picking his pocket. I don't want to confuse people. That was the first negotiation. That, that, was, that, that wasn't the one that, you know, where... No, that was way ago. And yeah. I'll tell you, at the time, I was off the, the show for a while, and I got a phone call from Dominic Barbara. He said, Jackie, Jackie, you got to get back on the show. You got to get back on the show. What, what can I do? Can I talk to him? What can I do? I said, listen, we're far apart, Dominic. He said, well, what, what's the story? I said, listen, I'm making 300000 uh, and I want to make 400000 and he almost drove off the fucking road. <laughs> he said, what? Everybody thinks you're making a million, million and a half, and you're holding out for three. And I said, no, I want a $100,000 raise. I was making 300, I wanted 400. He, he couldn't fucking believe it, you know, because he, he knew. The numbers were low, Jackie, I got to say. But that wasn't the one that led to you leaving, because then, then you wanted the million, then you would, you would have accepted the eight. You guys were far apart. Uh, well, what, what I wanted far was apart. I wanted, wanted 800, 1.1, 1.2. I wanted to average a million dollars a year for the last five years, but I never got to express that. Right. You know, my guy went into negotiating. He started at a million dollars for the next year, and but it was an, a negotiation, but there was never a negotiation. It went up, I think, twice. And at 650, that's uh, take it or go home. And, you know, and it was like just the fact that I wasn't worth, to- and we went two months without any back and forth. Yeah. And he said, look, you just got to stay home. You know, and I said, all right. So I stay well, home. The, the sad part about that, then you were like, oh, man, I really missed this. And, and you were ready to suck it up and, and give. After two months. You were ready to suck it I up and said, take whatever they were willing to give you at I'll that say, point. If, I said, if the deal that was offered was still on the table, Right, I would take it because they had they had stamped that out too. It was like six fifty, seven ten, seven right. eight, but it, and it was so. Now you're it was sucking a lot it up. of fucking. Now money. you're sucking it up, going fuck. I'll just take what they're going to give me, and then they don't even. And it, it wasn't a pittance. It was plenty yeah, of money, they, and they I knew that they didn't give you the common courtesy of even calling you back at that point. Uh, well, I uh, my lawyer called Tom, and I called Howard, and I said, I just want you to know that my lawyer's calling Tom, telling him, yeah, I would take the deal if it's still on the table. And he said, Well, thanks for calling. It's good to know that. That was the last day of our. That was it. Which is, you know, fucking low. Wow. But but that's hey hey this is the this is the business. No, it's interesting. I don't I do not hold the I do not hold their feet to the fire for that. I don't give a shit. No, I you just it's interesting to hear your point of view. That's all. Um, And finally, but do you know what I could have done to? (laughs) (laughs) Finally, one other thing. You weren't really in uh, in a lot of the scenes in private parts. Uh, and especially the Jessica Hahn uh, well, that, incident, that's so which funny. led to possibly the end of your marriage with Nancy, who lives two houses away, and you guys are great friends, and you double day with each other's <laughs> new boyfriends and girlfriends. Yeah, but, yeah nobody believes that. But, uh, but uh, was it that, was so crazy. Was but, that really the thing that officially broke you two up, you think? No, no. That, 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 we had, that was a huge, huge fight, but that had nothing to do with breaking up. That was so long ago. Hearing you tell that story in your, your book, uh, The Joke Man Bowed His Stern, uh, ah! uh, 
wow, did I relate to that too? Because we're in this weird business where we have naked girls around us and opportunities all the time. And my line was always like, don't touch the fucking girls. What, you know don't what? touch the girls. And I remember when I was at BAB, I'll tell you a quick story. I was with this girl that I'm no longer with a million years ago. And I got girls uh, in whipped cream playing poker. Right, and right, the, right. The right. whipped cream's melting. It's just a great, great show I, I was doing. And I'm describing the whole thing for the listeners, you know, that type of radio seemed to work. And my relatively new girlfriend at the time uh, calls the hotline and goes, are they naked? And I go, oh, yeah, they are. And then I'm stupid. I'm stupid guy thinking. Because you're caught up in the whole I'm, event. I'm more caught up. How does it sound? Like, doesn't it sound great? Like, I, I wanted someone to acknowledge that I'm doing great radio. You know, my new girlfriend, she's, and she hangs up on me. And yeah, because and I, you're, you're doing show business and she's doing relationships. Yeah, she's you're worried that you know, she's pain. thinking in her head, oh my God, he's going to be fucking all these girls by the end of the day. And I'm just thinking, I hope this sounds good, you know, because I, I want a, a, a radio show that people really like. Uh, man, did I, I went home and gave her the business. I'm like, do you understand what pays the fucking good for, you bills? Know, you know, you know that Nancy didn't hear a, a yeah, word. but because she, my she point, didn't hear a word on the air. They, but, all she heard was secondhand. Yeah, because we're we're in a position where you know it's a weird weird job we have in a weird world. So but they I, should know that so, going in. So I was balancing it like I understand if I'm like now like feeling up the girls and wiping the whipped cream away that could affect my relationship. But as long as I'm watching this, describing this, and trying to build this radio show. Everyone yeah. should be cool about it. Yeah, we're this. back from commercial, but Obi's in the men's room with uh, this girl. Uh, you know. That was never me. No one will ever tell a story that was me. So my my point is you you were doing it for the show, Jessica Hahn. We we were there at at uh, at the Omni and Jessica came in and she was taking a bath and she said, Come on, Howard, come get in the bath. We're in the, he's way at the other end of the suite. And he says, Come on, you guys, we gotta we got to jump in the bathtub with Jessica. And everybody's like, I ain't going, I ain't going. And I'm drunk out of my head. And I said, in my mind, I'm like, you know what? I'll just keep my pants on and it'll be a hoot. Yeah. So we walked back there. And uh, I not only just had my underpants, I had my blue jeans on. And we got in the tub. And we might have been in there 30 seconds. I mean, it was, I hate to say it, but it was a nothing burger. Right. You know what I mean? Nothing. It was totally, totally for the air. And I I was stupid enough to not realize that he was chomping at the bit. And when that show opened the next day, forget, you know, he made it sound like there was a full-scale orgy, but that's his genius. I'm going to defend Howard on that one because that that's his that, job. No, that's his job. Yeah. I didn't think anything of you it. Because if you're with someone that is, you know, is confident and all that, you can explain that. Like, look, most of that was for the radio show. And this is exactly what happened. I didn't. I called home, and when she was pissed, I... I couldn't believe it, but her girlfriends did what he did. Whatever they described to her, they were describing what he was describing. Yeah. And, you know, by the time I got to say I kept my, un my underpants and my blue jeans on, it, that, that, it was over. It didn't matter. Oh, you know, you fucked her, you fucked her, you fucked her. Oh, yeah, but except for one, one thing, I didn't fuck her. <laughs> That's besides the point, you know what I mean? Like, but it was great. And then they make the movie, and I'm not in the in the hot tubs because they conveniently made the movie so they were already big stars and this guy stumbled it at the end.
Yeah. I was just lucky enough to catch on to the end of it's the It's a great movie, but they ship. certainly changed uh, what you actually were well, to the know, show. At least I was. No, can, the best part of the Jessica Hunt. Uh, no, let me tell you one more thing. Yeah. And I, I was had such a bad reputation for negotiation and blah, 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 because I stood up for myself and asked for things. Rory called up and said, they want you to be in the movie. They're offering you double scale which is an absolute insult. Do you want me to do anything? I said, no, just take the fucking money. Now, if you're a cop in a movie, you get scale. And if you say stop to the traffic yeah. cops, you get double scale. You know, and here I am, a personality in a major motion picture playing myself. And what they offered me was just such, it was buckwold. It was a fucking insult, but I wasn't going to, you know, because if I said, could I have 10 cents more? Oh, he doesn't want me in a movie. Get yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So I took it, and every time I get a, a check for private parts, I, th I think, God, if they had to pay me anywhere in the ballpark of what I should have got, these checks would be, would be nice. You they know? would have been nice. The best but I was thrilled to be in it. Yeah, uh, fair enough. The, the best part of the Jessica Hahn story, which now I give uh, credit to Howard and the gang. So you, uh, you come home to Nancy, you got your luggage, and you're opening it up. No, this is not Howard. This is... Total credit to Stuttering John. Oh, John did that? Stuttering John. So the story goes, so he comes home for this Jessica Hahn incident, which he's in major hot water with his, you know, his now ex-wife, who he's still very good friends with, and they double date. Um, <laughs> if there hadn't been a sharp object where she could reach it in that right. kitchen, I wouldn't be here. She was out of her fucking so mind. So he, here's Jackie the Joke Man, big star, coming home from a huge gig. And he's got to deal with this at home. He's he knows he's celebrating with number one. Yeah, in all that, that foreign market. And uh, and he opens up his luggage. Thank God. No, not. what? No, what happened was oh, you can she take it ran from here. out, pissed off, and stormed out. Of all right, so the fight started. But so I have no idea. Yeah. If she's going to be gone thirty seconds and come back, or whether she's driving to her mother's, or yeah. whether she's driving off a cliff. Yeah. And I, I, you know, what do you do with yourself? I don't know what to do with myself. And I open up my fucking suitcase, and there's this. Soaking wet pink necklace, and I'm like, motherfucker. But she could walk in any. I don't know what to do, so I grab it and I ran out the backyard. And our backyard is the size of a postage stamp, and threw it over the fence because because <laughs> I didn't know how much time I had. And I came running back, and I'm like, those motherfuckers. I, you know, as much as this sucks. That's funny. That is hilarious. But it didn't come up in the air for a long time, and then nobody even asked about it because it was a. She was pissed. She was pissed. Did your neighbor come to your yard going, I, no, is this yours, Jackie? Yeah, it was kind of no man's land, kind yeah. of a little woodsy thing. Funny. The, the one thing that, and most people don't even believe it, uh, I didn't know what to do. And we had just gotten back from Philadelphia, about to go on vacation, and me and Nancy were leaving the next day to fly to Europe for a two-week vacation and to see her sister get married in Paris. Mm. And she's, I'm not going anywhere with you. We're done, blah, 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 blah. You know, she wanted me dead. And I called the therapist. And I said, what do I do? And she said to me, Jackie, you do whatever you can to get her on that plane. Once she's on that plane, it'll all melt away. You got to get her on the plane. That's what this woman said to me. And totally on my own. People think, oh, Nancy scripted it. Nancy gave me your directions. I walked in the next morning and I said, Howard, I need the microphone. And just totally off the cuff, I said, I want to apologize to Nancy. What I did was stupid. And and I just was absolutely, totally honest. I was The only thing that wasn't honest was that I didn't think 
I should have got the electric chair for what I did. Maybe it was a little worse than jaywalking. Maybe I was uh, doing 100 miles an hour, but I shouldn't have got the electric chair. Yeah. But I apologized. And the great apology. And it was absolutely sincere. And how much good or bad, all I know is we wound up on the plane and one drink on the plane and it was history. We didn't yuck it up about it, but it was because it was such a You nothing, got through it. You know. Yeah. Meanwhile, if I was alone in the bathtub with Jessica on, I probably wouldn't have got a heart on. I mean, she, you know, please, you know. <laughs> I, you know, but you can't say to your wife, listen, if I wanted to fuck somebody nice, that wouldn't have been, <laughs> right, you know. Right, you know. Right. That would not be the one. That I, would, I, yeah, I'm not right. going to th- <laughs> throw over the farm for that. <laughs> right, you know? exactly. So funny. It is really funny. Oh, God. Uh, but it was classic, classic, classic fucking radio. You gave him a lot of classic radio, Jackie. You were you were the punching bag. Fine, it was no. Fine. I, I mean that in a you know. You know, I know that. I know that, and people like you, you took know, a lot of abuse. They on thought, that no show. wonder you quit that show. You took it. I didn't take anything. I could, you know. Right. When I tell people some of the shit that he said to me, I wrote. Yeah. They can't wrap their brains around that. Yeah. You know, he says a big, huge insult, and it's something I had just written down. And right. That, oh, that, you wrote your own insults. I'd write, write horrible things that he'd say. About yourself. Yeah, and then like handed he said it to Howard. If he said something to me that was really insulting, but like a little bit creative, I'm surprised people didn't go, wait a minute. Yeah. Now, where'd that come from? Right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. One, one last thing. So the Len Bias thing uh, got me to thinking about the PC culture. So Len Bias dies. We had no problem uh, as radio guys jumping on that immediately and coming up with the jokes. And now it seems like nowadays you got to be, I mean, you're not the type of guy, but I mean, in general, you got to worry about the PC culture and getting in trouble for trying to be funny. You know, I don't, I don't know and anything. And you've probably seen this change dramatically throughout your whole career. But I, I've been doing the wrong stuff for so long. Like, I've been doing the stupid Jokes, but an equal opportunity. You know, one time, so long ago, way before Stern, uh, I there was a there was a I, I say mimeographed. I'm sure it wasn't mimeographed, but it might have been. You remember with the with yeah. the purple with the smelly sure the church bulletins. There was a thing called the Polish American Eagle, and I. I got a phone call or got one in the mail or something, and they were up in arms. They were crazed. I guess somebody had heard that there's this guy, that this comedian at Rascals that does all these Polish jokes, and that's all he does is defame the Polish people. I think this is when I was on one, week, one day a week at Stern, and I was hosting the, um, the, uh, the, what, the open mic nights on Tuesday. And... Uh, so they, they're hearing all this stuff, and I'm doing shows there, too, on the weekends, and I'm killing and packing them in. And they say, well, we, we shut down John Rivers, and we're not going to have this guy insulting the Polish people, blah, blah, blah. He says that the Polish people uh, eat shit, and all the, you know, whatever they said. It was a, a real diatribe against me. It was really crazy. And I called there and I said, listen, just come to a show. Just come to a show. I don't know how I communicated that to him. These Polish guys came to a show and they came up to me afterwards and said, you attacked everybody. You were one of the funniest people we ever saw. And yeah, you did your Polish jokes, but you know, whoever said it made it sound like I was going, Polish, 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 you know. Like you were obsessing and about just was, Polish people. But that was the only time I ever got in like politically incorrect trouble until two days ago when I did the <laughs> Too Many Unknown Soldier joke. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, 
I, you know, Patrice O'Neill taught me uh, something. It's like you could you could take a very uh, a subject very seriously, right? But you could also make jokes about it. And 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 it seems like uh, the youth today, or whoever the hell is running this stupid world of ours, they don't understand that. Well, but the, people don't understand. The thing is, and it's tough. It's even tough for me. Like if 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 you're doing comedy, then it's comedy, and all holds no holds barred and the the example i always give that i can't even quite handle joan rivers you might have heard this story the day after 9 11 oh yeah joan rivers do you know that yeah joan, good. but tell it again joan rivers called her girlfriend and said do you want to go for lunch at windows on the ground <laughs> i mean holy fuck and wow. that was the next day and she was like you know you know all she can't put the building back up no. she didn't attack it she you know yeah. a comic's job is to take what's there now i don't whether i agree with that i don't you know because there's always a but you know you know can't you take a joke you know blah 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 you know i never Wait. if i'm doing black like i'll stare at the black person in the audience when i do a black joke or something you know uh and I'm having fun, and some people handle things better than others. And, you know, I always ask people walking out, was it too dirty for you and the little old ladies? Are, no, 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 no. The one time, the, I mean, in all these decades, the one time that I altered myself, because people, I, I remember doing a show in the Midwest, and there was two horribly disfigured kids in wheelchairs, and the woman rolled them up, and they were right near the front. And she came up to me before the show and said, will you do me a favor, will you make fun of my children? They love it when people pick on them. And I said, no, lady. I said, you know what? I got no trouble fucking with your kids, no, as deformed as they are and everything. I can handle it, and they can handle it. They can't handle it. If I attack yeah. two deformed kids in the front, the people are going to lynch me. You know, they, they, you got to take everybody into account. I was doing a show in, in the uh, New York Comedy Club in Boca Raton, and I come up on stage, I look down, I might have told you this story, Michael. And there was a midget couple sitting ringside. Not just a guy, not just a, a midget couple. And yeah. they were so little that their feet were dangling. <laughs> their fucking feet were dangling. And I got to my midget hunk, which is like maybe five, six, seven, however many jokes. And for, for the first time in my life, I just leaped over and just didn't deal with it because I didn't know how many people... It, it, there were a couple. Yeah, yeah, it could have been their honeymoon. And of I'm course. like, you know, Jackie, <laughs> shut the fuck up. And that it made me such a hypocrite. Nothing matters. Yeah. I'm dying. What the hell with PC? I don't care. Black, Polish, you could a midget couple. Ah! So that well. But, uh, and he but, came up and said, You were really funny. And I said, You should have heard the shit I left out there, Squeaky. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> the crew's laughing at that one. <laughs> no, the only thing that we uh we have. Oh, we forgot Tom. Oh, you got you got to meet Tom. Yeah, you you've been teasing this Tom guy. For I like, forgot about Tom. Are you here? I've been here all day, and Why you've been teasing you this though? Tom guy. Are you yeah, yeah, we'll let okay. it. I didn't want to talk over here now that Eric just did. Hey guys, this is great. Oh, I'm, um, I completely so, forgot about. Oh fuck. Um, the only thing that I was that I want to get is just for people that don't know, like just the nuts and bolts of what Jackie did for 15 years. He was the head writer of the Stern show. Just an, an actual like introduction. Yeah. You know, that's the only thing we need, but you don't need me. Are they gone? Yeah, they gone? They're gone? They're here or they're not here? They're not here. No. Wait, Tom left? Who's Tom? You... When, we, when we were going back and forth, you're like, I got a surprise for you. And then I was thinking, I can only imagine what uh, a surprise from Jackie the Joke Man would be. 
19 I'm, I'm not I'm not stalling about that should I wait they might they could be gone well you know what let's get the introduction part for now just like let let Opie just say to you, you know you know for people who don't know the whole story because really what I need is is use for people who don't know who you are that you were the head writer of the Stern Show for 15 years that's the main Okay. Pressure's on you. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's now awkward. <laughs> that's okay. That's awkward. You're in a job that's awkward. Yes, I am. So for the people that don't know, I'm with Jackie the Joke Man, the, uh, the head writer of the Howard Stern Show for 15 years, right? 15 years. I met him in 1983, but then yeah. went full-time in 1986. Right. And, and for the people that don't know who you are, what else could you tell them? Uh, I was a very bad musician. Yeah. And uh, when I realized I was never going to make a nickel, I quit music. Right. And uh, started in comedy. Yeah. And to steal a line from Rodney Dangerfield, when I quit music, I was the only one who knew I quit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I started doing comedy, and I worked in a recording studio and put out a couple, 33 and a third LPs. Right. Three of them. And by 1982... Uh, I was selling them at gigs, and I worked in Washington, D.C., and a guy told me, the club owner told me about this guy that got fired that was going to NBC in New York. Well, and you, you got to exp explain why Howard got fired back in 1982 from Washington. That's an amazing... Uh, you and know I what? Give him, I, I there's give him so many that. versions of that story that I still don't know exactly. You don't know which one's the, the real story. Supposedly the real story. He swears he never made the phone call, but supposedly... Um, a, a plane hit the bridge hit the bridge in Washington D.C. Yeah. and he called the airline to ask if that was going to be a regular stop yeah but he swears he had his finger on the yeah. on the receiver and he never made the call I will I will defend Howard on that point because you know when you when you when you do such a crazy shock jock edgy radio show there were things that you do to make sure you're not actually calling the airline right. and, but the point is that was ridiculous because it went out over the air and right. that was the offensive part right you know but this but supposedly he, he was already leaving that station right and was going to nbc already so i but i didn't know from him didn't know from anything back then See, so. i'll defend him because he didn't actually need the uh to call the airline for that to be shocking and to get no get people talking about his radio show right and he yeah. didn't need to do that because he already had a gig in nbc and nobody was going to hear it any you know right. there's a million Thing. Oh, wait, he had a gig before he got fired, you think? Yeah, supposedly he was all set to go to I NBC. I did the same thing! So, you know. my, my, my big mayor's prank in Boston, everyone's like, what? what are you, nuts? I'm like, I'm not nuts, I'm smart. <laughs> New York was calling, and they, they basically told me, they're like, ah, you know, we want to hire you and Anthony, but it's too bad you just signed that contract. And I'm thinking, bing, I'll figure this one out. Because we used to work in radio. Hey, boss, I was with your sister. <laughs> right. We used to work in radio at a time when you fucked up on the radio and got fired, you always went to a bigger market for so much more money. You failed your way so, up. So me and Anthony were making a name for ourselves in Boston, and all of a sudden New York came calling. There were two stations. It was K-Rock and NAW. You both wanted us. We met with all the guys that you know, and they're like, it's too bad that you're under contract. I'm like, yeah, it's too bad. Wink, wink. I, I saw what they were basically telling me. They right. didn't say it, but I'm like, ah, I got it. Because yeah. I, I understood radio back then. So I went back it's to like Boston. like saying to a girl, it's a shame you got a boyfriend. Right. And within know. a month, April Fool's was coming around. I'm pacing my apartment. I'm like, 
Ding! I got it. I called uh, Anthony. I said, Anthony, you know how all these dopey radio guys do the April Fool's pranks that are so stupid. I'm like, why would anyone even believe any of this shit? I go, let's knock it out of the park. So I decided that uh, that day we would tell Boston that the mayor of Boston died in a fiery car accident while on vacation in Florida. And it worked like a charm. We were out of a job two weeks later. And then I fly down to Washington to meet uh, Dan uh, Mason because he wanted to make sure we didn't have horns. Right? <laughs> right. And me and Anthony are like, whoa, we're going to Washington for the night. We packed for the night. And uh, we drive all the way out to some office park to meet Dan Mason, who was head of CBS programming. Because right. I'm like, I did my job. We're moving to New York. And we had, to, we had to go down there to make sure we didn't have devil horns. And then to get his approval, like, all right, these guys are okay. They're, they're human beings. They're, and they're responsible and all that. And uh, we thought we were going to stay in Washington for the night. And it turns out Dan Mason talked to us for two minutes. And he goes, can I call you a cab back to the airport? We were back in Boston for dinner. But, it's always radio. Yeah. You know, if, if, if we can but save the, same, the price of a hotel room. Yeah, but the same thing. I, I went to Boston knowing I got I to get us fired so we can move to New York. That's so great. And I kept that under my hat for many, many years. And now I finally talk about it. because you know, people I like, never it never went through my mind that he... That they might have been dangling NBC and he needed to. I don't. I don't think that was. You know what? If oh, okay. that was something he calculatedly did, he certainly would have told people that he calculated. Well, there's also it. a time that you would get away with a lot of that stuff. Then radio changed when you started doing those over the top things. They were firing disc jockeys left and right. It didn't matter. Didn't matter how how big you were. In our case, with the. Uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral incident. I you I, we, we I could pull, go horse from how much I defended you. You know, if you're not Catholic, or if you're not religious, right? That's a building, right? It's a fucking building. Well, it was in the vestibule. Hopefully, that matters, but maybe it doesn't. But no, but it's I, a, no matter what, it's a building, and they weren't killing anybody. But, they were but making you, love. You but know, you I could, go, you know, you could relate to this though. So the company had <laughs> Howard and you guys in the morning, and it had me and Anthony in the afternoons, and we were crushing an afternoon drive. And I always had in the back of my head. You know, when you, you're delivering those type of ratings and the amount of money they were bringing in, I, I could say whatever the fuck I want on the radio as long as I didn't F with the FCC rules, right? Oh, right, that boy. they would have your back. Oh, boy, did I make a mistake. We, well, had, we had a 40-something share in Cleveland. We were number one New York, Boston, Washington. Uh, there's a few more markets. Uh, Philadelphia. And uh, I think what I number really, one in the world is don't fuck with the Catholics in Boston. Well, know? I mean, but it was a it was a corporate umbrella. What Mel Carmenson got scared that it would not only affect the radio division, could affect it all these bleed, other divisions. Right, right. And I was showing the door, and man, I I was depressed for two plus years over that one. So why don't you just go home and pray? Yeah. Well. <laughs> oh, but I I, I got to say about the mayor's prank because it, it was brought up today. So late in uh, Mayor Menino's life. He came to Sirius XM. He was pushing a book. I tried to get him on the show so bad, and I told everybody you know, that could get to him and all, I want to apologize because I was a dopey shock jock back right, then. Right, right. And I, you know, I had some reflection, and I decided you know, it, it's the right thing to do. Right to the end, he didn't want anything to do with me. And I was like, uh, but, I, but I at least got the word out that I was sorry and that I want to you know, say it publicly to his face. You but made your bones. He, yeah, he passed, whatever. Jackie, this was uh, an absolute pleasure. I guess we're not going to meet Tom. We'll do it another time. I, 1988, I think it was, I came home, and there was a blue pickup truck in my driveway. And my friend Billy that's here with Tom, Yeah. it was his pickup truck, and he was driving. Yeah. And sitting shotgun was Tom. And between them was this little man 
that looked like me with a joint in its mouth and a little tiny Budweiser can. I said, what the fuck is that? And they said, well, this is a Gary puppet. We think this should be a Jackie puppet. I said, where'd that come from? He said, Tom made it. And I said, you know what? If I bring that into the Stern show, they're going to say, here's Jackie promoting himself. They're going to throw it in the garbage. Yeah. You got to come in and pretend you're fucking with me. I said, Tom, you got a girlfriend? He said, I have a beautiful wife. So I said, call up and come in on the show. So I'm sitting there one day. Gary comes in and says, hey, Howard, the guy in the lobby has got a puppet that looks a lot like Jackie. He says, really? Anybody with him? He says, I got a really pretty girl with him. Let's bring him in. And they brought in the Jackie puppet, and they took turns making fun of me. And I was like, oh, man, get rid of that thing, blah, blah, blah. And I'm winking back and forth at the yeah. time. So he was the responsible. He was responsible for one. That was one of the main things on the show for, for a years, long time. Years. And so that was the guy that came up with the Jackie puppet. They they came up with the idea and created it out of That's thin air. A, well, he's he's a celebrity then, man. He's a good guy, real uh, sweet. Jackie, this was a pleasure, man. The tour of your house really opening up for uh, my podcast, and oh, I uh, loved it. I loved it. And uh, we're gonna eventually have a documentary, aren't we, McCann? Yeah, yes, documentary sir. guy, come over here. Give the big plug on my podcast. So you're just about done filming the Jackie the Joke Man um, uh, documentary, right? We are just about done with Joke Man. And Joke Man is always two words, by the way. Very good, McKean. Capital J, capital M. <laughs> you got to remember that. <laughs> so yeah, we're almost done shooting Joke Man. It should be uh, out in an early fall, maybe late summer. Uh, give me a little tease. Like, who else did you talk to? Oh, uh, we got uh, Willie Nelson. We got Penn Jillette. We got uh, Sean Young, who is amazing oh, wow. in the piece. Uh, we just, flew down. To, we flew down to New Orleans and sat with Willie for ten minutes, yep. telling, exchanging dirty jokes. In a couple of weeks, Mark Cuban. Hopefully, I mean, there's a, just a lot of great people, a lot of extern show guys uh, who could provide some interesting, uh, you know, angles on that whole thing. More importantly, did, did I make the cut? I think you're going to make the cut. All right. We talked for 14 right. hours. How could you not make the cut? You're going to, you're going to have me just nodding my head, <laughs> nodding, nodding, No, nodding. this was, I think this was great. I, I absolutely loved it. Did you guys see Willie Nelson's guitar, by the way, with the big hole in it? Because he's been playing it many, for 60 no, many times. I was on stage with him in he, Radio City singing he, the gospel songs. I, uh, I, I was lucky enough to interview Willie Nelson once. He, he pulls up on 56th Street outside Hooters with that giant tour bus of him. We got of his. We got him high as well, even though he didn't need our pot. But we had a guy named Stinky that would bring the celebrities into the stairwell and get them uh, fucked up. But I'll never forget the guitar that had a giant hole in it because it's one of his original guitars that he's played forever. And I they, don't know how that thing doesn't collapse because right. that is a big hole it's you a could giant put a hole. golf ball through yeah that hole. so you know the guitar i'm talking about of course and then, I, I can't remember any of the names anymore but just imagine some of the greatest musicians you could ever imagine and their autographs are just smudged out on this guitar or or it, it was where the hole was where these people signed we we sat everyone after I signed that thing. i told jokes with him for like 10 minutes and then we got done and willie handed he took a hit of his pot <laughs> from his willie's reserve and then handed it to me, and then handed it to Ian, who's not a big pot smoker. And he takes a hit off it and goes into a coughing fit. <laughs> the most embarrassing thing ever. So I said, Willie, give me another hit. Willie gives me another hit. And I don't know if Ian took another hit. So we leave, yeah. and we're going to go in and see him in the Hard Rock. Yeah. And he's got the camera with him. And they tell him, you can't come in here with the camera. So my stone Jewish producer friend had to leave the Hard Rock and find the hotel and drop off the camera and come back 
stoned out of his mind. It was mind. unbelievable. We're I mean, in the back looking no, wait, at Willie, and we're like, <laughs> we smoked the same thing as him. How can he stand unreal. up? He was smoking the whole time. He probably took five hits of that thing. I took one hit. I stepped off the bus and remembered that I, I didn't know how to walk. Wow. You know, it was like realized just I couldn't move, right? But the best part was... After I go through this paranoid fit of I've lost the camera, I mean, I just went through every emotion from this weed, and I get back to the to the uh, House of Blues, and I fight my way through the crowd, and I fight my way up these three small steps by pushing on people, and I see Jackie in the back of the room, way in the back, and I find my way over to him, and I said, Jackie, what are you doing back here? He says, I need the wall. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's, oh, it was, a, it was so That's great. awesome. It was so great. Well, I, it was so fun. I look forward to the documentary uh, late summer, maybe early fall, yeah. right? And We're uh, going to be doing you know, all the film festivals, and then oh, we'll be awesome. doing Q&A, so it could be, people can ask questions about all this Wonderful, stuff, which man. is so fun. You know? I'll promote it on my podcast, that's for sure. And uh, I, honestly, Jackie, I've known you forever, and just, just – Thank you for being so cool to me always. When, always. And Every time you saw me in Oyster Bay or Huntington or in a hallway somewhere, you always stopped and you I were would, always very, very cool and nice to me. And I, I would really love to spoil that. it, but I don't think we've ever had a bad word uh, between no, us or no, for any man. reason. So no. uh, and you, I love that. And you ignored all that bullshit over the years for oh, the most please. part. So please. thank you. Uh, this was Great, a pleasure. Thanks to Mike. Of course. The Sappho man who's disappearing. He's losing so much weight and so mine. So is so everybody. You know, Mike who loves urine. He should. He probably got hard over that uh, mom story in the car from uh, much earlier in this podcast. He's, he's so scary. He <laughs> loves urine, though. He does the golden shower thing. So he's probably bummed that, that you're your With that beautiful wife? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like I can't talk I'd about that. I'd let her PME just to see where it came from. I feel like I can't talk about that anymore now that you're married. It was one thing when you guys were, you know, dating. But now you're married, I might have to tap out of the Nobody golden shower Nobody does stories. that. Oh, God. he wishes he was in that back seat. Trust me. <laughs> Wow, because I always thought I was weird with the whole diarrhea thing. Right. <laughs> what? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're just babbling out. We'll go off on that. Jackie, thank you, brother. I, I love, love you. Man. Thank I you. love you. Thank you. Uh, Joe, you know what to do. Wrap it up. Don't forget to leave a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. Visit opiradio.com. Check out the link in the description to visit jokeland.com, where you can pick up Jackie's book and keep up with the making of this documentary. I'm Joey Salvia. Thanks for downloading this free podcast we call OP Radio.